The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Hello, welcome to another episode of Story World. How are you doing, Alex? I am doing just fine. How are you, Steve? Doing exactly as good as I was a few minutes ago when we recorded last week's episode. Last week's <laughs> uh, episode. It's just showing, you know, showing you behind the scenes. Uh, pulling back the curtain a little bit, getting our Wizard of Oz on, speaking of good stories. Yeah, oh, Mary. Yes, yeah, cool. So we're going to talk um, about the hero's journey this time, sort of, okay? Now, we went actually pretty deep into the hero's journey, ironically, in Rocket Man in our last episode. <laughs> if you're brand new to the podcast, I would encourage you to go back to last week's episode, check out the the, sh- the show we did on, on Rocket Man. You'll not only get an interesting commentary about one of uh, my favorite movies, but we go all into the concept of the hero's journey and how it works out and even an unlikely uh, story. Um, You know, so uh, in this, in this week's episode, we want to talk about uh, the the title that we've sort of the working title. Anyway, we've come up with is will the real hero please stand up. And and so I think what what we'd like to do um, is, is kind of take from Alex's perspective of how he kind of sees the, the hero in a, in a story and maybe bring some of his personal thoughts to that. And then how I do from the marketing perspective, what I see when it comes to heroes and stories, uh, and then just launch into some, some general discussion from there. Does that sound good? Sounds good to me. It's uh, it's funny. I don't know why I feel a more serious weight on this one. Um, I feel like this is a very, uh, I think it's a serious topic because we view heroes a lot of time as, you know, whether it's superheroes or the good guy with the sword and a movie that overcomes. But I mean, really, we have hero figures in our life and in history that we've seen. And I think it's I think it'll be apparent that it's much more applicable to our psyche and how we see life and people than than just a mm-hmm. fun hero to watch. But anyway, kind of no. got off the rails no. a little bit, but I'm excited about this episode. I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, no, you're 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 exactly right. Well, well, we all have this. I mean, sometimes we even call it a hero complex or a savior complex, or 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 we all at some time or another we either experience that ourselves or we experience feeling the need for it. I think of that a very popular uh, song by the band Skillet uh, called "Hero." Yep. That was it, they're they're a Christian band, but actually this 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 song made its way into the mainstream. It was in video games. It was in movies and everything. Um, and there's just a human longing and desire for salvation, right? For, for a hero to come swoop in and, and save the day. Um, and so if, again, that kind of going back to episode number two, if our, if reality really is structured in such a way where we really do in real life need an actual hero to save us, 
um, that would be what Christians call the gospel, uh, then absolutely, I mean, there is a serious way, and it's really no surprise that we see um, heroism showing up in literally every aspect of our lives in the fiction and nonfiction stories that we um, that we see and experience. So, yeah, definitely, um, and I think that kind of leads directly into. I know that obviously, uh, you know, you like we talked Rocket Man last week, so it's not that you're just strictly marketing and nonfiction. I'm strictly fiction, but I think right. we kind of have a, a. We'll probably tackle both subjects tonight. So um, I'm gonna kind of lead in i know we kind of have a couple thoughts on kind of a hero definition or kind of approach that's yeah. at each in our own little respective lives and so i'm gonna go ahead and uh i'm gonna read mine what i wrote down simply because it's just easier that way and i kind of like what i wrote and i don't know if i'll be able to say it as clearly as when i was thinking it so <clears throat> looking at me from the fiction side of view uh, mostly writing a story applies to video games too, but writing a story, I, I put down in fiction, the hero is typically the one who brings order to chaos or triumphs over evil. It is usually more grand than the heroes in our own life, but they don't have to be. The best kind of hero in fiction, in my opinion, is one that we can relate to in our own lives. Someone who has faults and internal struggles and someone who, while they may ultimately overcome the external struggle, may still be left with internal ones that persist even after the story is told. Um, mm -hmm. So that's kind of my mindset on a hero. And obviously we'll go into that quite a bit more as we go through our, our points here. But that's kind of the angle that I'm coming at and how I kind of view a hero in my mind. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we definitely see that in our heroes because I I think of people who I have looked up to in the past for just various things, and um, they have flaws. <laughs> you know, you know. I mean, we talked about this with Mar with Marvel. Um, that actually one of the main things that made Stan Lee's superheroes more interesting to many than the DC universe uh, of superheroes is that is that Stan Lee's heroes had flaws. They had shortcomings. They had really human, relatable things going on. And I love what you keep saying about, about humans behaving like humans. We've talked about that a lot. And I think it's there's a reason for that. And that's because even, even human heroes are still human. Yeah, they're still human, right? You know? You know, they still have those flaws. They still have those shortcomings. So I, th I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. Sure. Well, from my perspective, so this is this is um, the main reason why I I wanted to talk about the idea of hero is that when I do marketing work with people, as I kind of described last week, I actually take them through a process called the story brand process. This was developed by uh, Donald Miller, who was a an author who wrote. Uh, memoirs, and then he actually moved into the sort of marketing thought leadership space uh, based on what he learned in his time as a writer, writing both fiction and nonfiction uh, work. And, and this is sort of how he became known as a business leader and authority um, for sort of translating this fiction idea of, of a hero's journey into a um, into something that could be used by companies and brands to actually gain buy-in. And um, so in marketing, there tends to be a problem. And the problem is that, that most brands, most businesses, most even startups that, that get into business, the, the big mistake they make is that they 
in all of their marketing and all of their advertising and all of their communication, they actually treat themselves as the hero of the story instead of recognizing that they are not the hero in the story. Okay, in the classic hero's journey, there is a hero, but there is also a guide. And the big mistake is these brands, these companies, these businesses should be coming alongside of their hero as the guide. So they should be promoting and marketing and speaking as though their client or their customer is actually the hero instead of them. And so when you, to make it practical, you know, when you, when you, when you go to a company's website and the first thing you see is, well, in 1957, great uncle Bob started this company and then passed it down to his son and to his son and to his son. And now it's all in the face. Like that's immediately boring. Nobody cares. No, no, everybody, you just kind of move on because it doesn't matter. You're focused on the wrong thing. You're making yourself the hero or a great example is these car commercials. Remember we talked about this a few weeks ago and Alex brought up the example of, he's like, I don't get these car commercials where, you know, you got like the Honda just like driving on the road. The reason why that's not jiving with you is because you're not the hero in that story. Honda is or Ford is or, or whoever, right? They are the hero. They're making, they're building themselves up. They're puffing themselves up. And that's the great irony is the expectation that they have there is, oh, the better we make ourselves look, mm-hmm. the more appealing we'll be to the masses. That is not at all what appeals to the masses because what it does is it gives your customer or your client an inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. It, 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 make, it puts you on a pedestal and tells them that you think that they're not good enough. And so it actually detracts instead of brings them in. And I even gave some examples of, of good car commercials, like the Subaru ones and the, and the Lincoln ones. And in the Lincoln example for it, it was Matthew McConaughey, right. Was the, was the uh, actor that they actually brought in to sort of, you know, personify all of this, but the ads were very much driven towards the particular target customer. And the ads made sure to know that the Lincoln was was merely the guide. It was merely the, uh, I hate to use the word vehicle because we're actually talking about a vehicle. But it, it, you get it though? Okay, you'll allow it. Thank God. Okay. It, it, right. But it was the vehicle through which the guide was helping the, the hero come to a successful resolution in his story. And so I, I'm passionate about this because I think that if we just correct this simple mistake, we would get leaps and bounds ahead of other companies who are um, fighting for our our business, uh, and so that that's kind of the angle that I approach the the idea of of heroes from as it relates to uh, as it relates to business and marketing. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, just you kind of uh, talking about how for advertising, you kind of want to feel like the hero in that situation. I just, I'm trying to, I guess I'm kind of thinking out loud because when you think about usually a story, you're almost, you know, seeing the hero in the way above you, you know, but in a lot of respects too, especially when you're reading a book, um, every character kind of is the hero in their own story. You focus on self the most in your life. Yeah. Not even talking about in a selfish way. You worry about 
brushing your teeth, of doing your best, getting the best, you know, things, you know, just having the best life for yourself. In a way, you are your own hero and your own story. So I guess there's a couple different yeah. ways to look at it. And, and it's all one and the same, too. I mean, yeah, really, in your story life, without looking at anything as far as, you know, if you're a Christian, looking at, you know, submitting yourself to the Lord, but you are your hero in your story. But there's also heroes in your life that affect you. So it, it both are true, you know. The, sure. You know, both are true. There is a great tension. And so not to plug my other podcast, but my <laughs> my um my my sort of flagship is I'll call it podcast. I have five active podcasts, including this one. So um my sort of flagship podcast is called Marketing for the Rest of Us. And I just did a two-part series. I literally launched the second one today. Uh, a two-part series talking about this tension. Um the first uh, episode. So last week's episode of the podcast was, was, I think it was titled why your story doesn't matter. Um, and then this week's episode was titled why your stories really do matter. And so it's interesting. Last week I made the case that your stories don't matter at all. And then this week today, I made the case that actually your story and your stories are some of the most important aspects and elements of your business. And so what is that? How, how do we resolve that tension? Well, there's, well, there's two things in my humble opinion that I think, um, uh, work. So one thing just to notice right off the bat is that every guide was once a hero. Okay. Every guide was once a hero. So in order for you to establish empathy, we talked last week about this a little more, but, but you have to, every guide has to have empathy and authority. So let's take Luke Skywalker and um, Obi-Wan Kenobi, okay? Obi-Wan Kenobi is the guide in Luke's story. Uh, but in order for him to be that guide, Obi-Wan has to have empathy, so he has to be truthfully relatable to the hero, Luke Skywalker, and he also has to have authority. He has to have authority to speak and act authoritatively in this man's life. And as a Jedi, of course, he does. So so this is true in business and in fiction. Every When you're looking at some particular hero's story, whoever the guide is had a hero story of his own. Mm -hmm. That's how he got to become the guide in somebody else's story. You following me? The guide is a hero as well. But, it, but, but the guide, Obi-Wan can't be the hero in Luke's story, right? Mm -hmm. However... However, there does need to be a factor of trust built up with the um, with the guide. And so, no doubt, Luke knows a lot of Obi-Wan's stories, right? There was a lot of, there was, there was context, there was sharing, there was, there was background. So in business, we talk about um, something, uh, this is just one way of putting it, a framework of putting it, but it's called the four core stories. So essentially you have an origin story, you have a vehicle story, you have an internal story, and you have an external story, okay? Let me briefly break those down if you're interested in hearing this, uh, and this might, might give some context for a direction. So let's pretend I, uh, I'm in an intermittent fasting right now, which I am, that's not pretend, I really am, but let's pretend that I wanted to become an intermittent fasting coach, okay? And I was trying to, 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 to get... I was trying to be the guide to a hero and I wanted to sell them on what I was doing. Okay. My, I would still want to tell my stories, but my stories would serve the sale. 
to get the hero to become the hero, like, like to, to get the hero to realize that he's really the hero and I'm just his guy. So I could tell the origin story. Hey, I was 279 pounds. I was at Dollywood, a theme park with my wife, and I hate roller coasters. But my wife forced me to get on the roller coaster. It was not going to be a good time for me if I didn't get on the roller coaster. And so I sat through a line, sweated bullets the whole time, was complaining, made some jokes about I would see her in heaven and this that, <laughs> other thing. Got to the top of the ride after waiting in that line for probably 30 or 45 minutes and couldn't fit in the roller coaster. And I had to do the walk of shame all the way down the ride with everybody looking at me. And I, it was embarrassing because at that moment I, I was out of control. I couldn't fit in the roller coaster. The, the bar wouldn't come all the way down and close. I was just too freaking big. And as I look back on pictures of that day, legit, I was just too freaking big. Uh, and, um, and so that sparked a, a journey for me of, of weight loss and transformation. And I learned all about intermittent fasting and I learned all about keto and I lost a lot of weight going on a keto diet. Okay. Boom. Origin story over. Okay. So that's, that's, that's how I got into the world of diet, whatever, right? That's the origin story. Okay. The vehicle story. So now it's, this is about how I discovered intermittent fasting because I'm going to try to sell it a fasting program. Right? So it's, well, I was having good results with keto, but I noticed something really interesting that kept happening. And what kept happening was, is I would, I would lose weight. I would do it really good. I would lose weight. And then I would bounce back to about halfway between where I had been and where I was. And this kept happening. It kept happening. It kept happening. It kept happening. So then one day uh, I was, I was doing some research on this. How do I, how do I overcome these plateaus? And I discovered a book by Dr. Jason Fung called the obesity code. And he explained that the, the actual thing that controls your weight loss in your body, it's not your calories. It's not even your carbs. It's not necessarily the kinds of food you eat or whatever. It's all about insulin response. Um, the hardcore, you know, studies have shown that your insulin response is able to lower what is called your body set weight. And that set weight is basically this equilibrium. If you ever heard the term homeostasis, your body is always trying to achieve homeostasis. It always wants to be equalized. And so when you're 279 pounds and you lose down to 215 pounds, your body doesn't like that. And so it wants to bounce you back to a, a sort of equilibrium comfort zone of like 235, 240. And so that's where I've been you know, living. And so I discovered that through intermittent fasting, you can lessen greatly. So if you combine intermittent fasting with a ketogenic or carnivore diet, you can greatly reduce the amount of insulin response your body has, and you can actually lower that body set weight and that equilibrium. So I, so boom, okay, that story basically over. That's the vehicle story I discovered. Um, I discovered how intermittent fasting was the secret to everybody's problems. And so there from there, it would be my burden to sell people on how uh, it can work for them as well. And very briefly, Everybody will have an internal and an external struggle with this. One of the internal struggles might be, well, I just don't know that fasting is going to work for me because it sounds like I'm going to be hungry all the time. Okay, that's an example. Uh, an example of the external story might be, well, how, what are my friends going to think? Because when they say, hey, let's go out to the club or let's go out and get a, a, a meal or let's go out to lunch, I'm not going to be able to eat that lunch um, or, or whatever it may be, right? So, so when you're trying to sell somebody a thing, you have to break these chains of false beliefs and actually rewrite the story that they're telling themselves in their minds. And you do that as the guide through telling them your stories. So to, so to bring that all around, 
you you can't be the hero of the story. You have to let them be the hero and you have to guide them along. But you still want to tell them your stories because they need to identify with you. They need to realize that you do have the authority to tell them where to tell them how to overcome. They need to realize that you do have empathy so that you can get on their level and that you've been where they were before um, or that you've been where they are now so that so that you can be identified. So it all works together. Um, everybody is at some point the hero, but in sales and marketing, at least, you really have to be sure that you're talking to people the right way. You have to be sure that your advertising puts them in the right place. And then you tell them your stories in order to, to help them to, to know, like, and trust you. Uh, but they still have to be the hero. And so this is where if you don't do it right, you could, you could risk uh, losing them as the customer because they're going to be putting all of the focus on you. So you always have to relate it back to them and make sure that your stories serve the sale, not just serve your ego. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's sort of how that all shakes out in the, in the marketing world. It's really uh, interesting. I'm kind of, I'm going to do the old fashioned. I'm going to tell you what you told me and you're going to tell me if I got what you said. Okay. So, so essentially in marketing, playing the hero side of things, you're activating that hero mentality. You're trying to activate that hero mentality in the consumer or the customer. You're trying to get them to take action and in a sense, become become the hero that they want to be. Yeah, that is, that's partially true. Um, I say partially because they are already thinking this. Okay. So you've ever heard about people are tuned into W I I F M what's in it for me, uh, Mm -hmm. radio. Um, they're already thinking because everybody thinks that we're the hero of our own story. Mm -hmm. Everybody thinks that. So they're already thinking that the danger is that you, the danger is that when they encounter your brand, you buck up against that and and try to get in the hero position. Again, the practical example is the car ad, right? The danger is 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 when you bump into the Honda commercial and all you see is this unrelatable random car, like with this guy talking, driving down the road. You're you're suddenly like, what's in it for me? Okay, it this this company makes pretty cars. That doesn't help me at all, right? The difference between that and the Matthew McConaughey ad where the the target customer sees Matthew in them. They think they're Matthew automatically. And so it's something that's already there uh, in their mind. So you run the risk of derailing them um, when they encounter your brand if if you're not cognizant of that. That's a very uh, fine line. So I think... uh, the Matthew McConaughey commercials were phenomenally. I mean, just they're so good. Even though I never bought a Lincoln, I just I, I don't care to it. Well, you're not the target and customer. I, I'm not you're, the target customer. But, yeah. but when I watched it, I still was thinking, wow, that that's pretty cool. Like, yeah, and that seems really neat to, yeah. to be a part of that group or that feeling or exclusivity. But I can also see, on the other hand, where maybe if they chose a different actor. Or if they chose a different setting for it, where the customers would think, um, why are they, obviously it's only for like rich snobby people. Like, why would I want Right. I can Mm -hmm. see. So it's same thing with like, with you, instead of, I guess, telling people in a motivational way, telling your story and getting them to have that, that feeling and that surge and getting them to, you know, have that call to action. It could come across as 
um, very like braggy in a way in here. Exactly. And, and so, yeah, I never, I never thought about it before, but also thinking of just working in the office of people I've come across just from hearing someone say an accomplishment that they did. Um, and then someone else talking about an accomplishment that they were a part of two different approaches to where one person can get you excited about the work that you're going to be doing and the possibilities because they had these possibilities versus someone saying, yeah, I basically came in here and took care of it all. But then where does that leave you? Um, I think I'm kind of looking at that right now. I really looked at it from that yeah. before, but, um, very that's interesting. Exa- that's exactly right. I mean, people, mm. people want to be. There's a, there's a great quote. It's called the one, I think it's called the one sentence persuasion. And I'll screw it up if I try to say it, but basically it's like people want their fears allied. They want their concerns justified. Um, and, and and so people, people just, whenever they interact and they encounter you, they're always looking for you to, well, the way that Donald Miller, the author of story brand puts it is that everyone, the human brain is is looking for ways to survive and to thrive. Now, personally, the way that, that he sort of frames some of that is in the context of some evolutionary claims that I, I personally dis- disagree with based on the evidence that I find. Um, but nevertheless, he's right. I mean, I mean, it's definitely true that humans want to survive in their environment and they want to thrive in their environment. And so anybody who comes to you looking for work or looking, or looking for just whatever, um, it doesn't have to be work. It, it, it can literally be anything. Um, they're always thinking, how do you help me survive and thrive? And if you don't establish yourself as a person who can meet one of those criteria, then you are immediately irrelevant. This is true in friendship. This is true in relationship. This is true in, in, in boss uh, to employee relationships. It's true in coworker relationships. It's true in, in client and service provider or whatever, um, you know, business and consumer relationships. It, it's true. All across the board, if you don't meet the criteria of, of helping your target customer survive or thrive, then um, you're not going to be effective. You're you're gonna you're gonna turn them away. And and so, story is a tool that we use to help people know that they're in the right place. Um, and, and a good like a, a related way when you're when you're trying to even like figure out well what words should I use or or what you know what ad. Um, how should I target my ads? Like what groups should I be looking for? Even getting that practical, a, a really helpful way to look at that is to answer the question, um, Blake would be interested in this, but no one else would. Mm. Think about that. Blake would be interested in this, but no one else would. So the Matthew McConaughey example, right? I, 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 sorry to keep going back to it. It's just such a clear example. It's, so good. It's, yeah. it's useful for analogies. Um, and that is like, I appreciate it because I understand what's going on mm-hmm. as a marketer, as a story attentive person. I understand what's going on, but it, the commercial doesn't do for me what it does for the middle-aged guy who wants to be Matthew McConaughey. Like it, it's not the same for me because it doesn't help me survive or thrive. So in this case, it's, it, you know, it could be something like, um, 50 year old rich guys going through a midlife crisis would be interested in this. But 32-year-old dads of four would mm. not be. You know what I mean? And, and so, or, or, or even just 55-year-old rich guys having a midlife crisis would be interested in this, but no one else would. Mm-hmm. Even just that. Think about whatever your business is. Think about the possibilities that opens up in the language you use. Like Now, you might think immediately, oh, that's restricting. Yes, exactly. Welcome to marketing. 
Marketing is the narrowing down and getting the, 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 the minimum viable audience or yeah, I guess that's the right way to say it. Basically the minimum, the minimum viable audience for your service or product or, or whatever, because that is who is most likely to buy. So the more targeted you could be, the bigger market share you're going to have among that crowd and you're going to be successful. Now in my business, for example, I'm actually not following this as, as well as I should. Um, I'm very loosely uh, marketing to membership site owners and course creators. So a, 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 a way of putting this that hasn't quite caught on yet, but I really like it to catch on because it's so much easier to say, is education entrepreneurs. Basically entrepreneurs who educate an audience through some, some means online, a course or a membership or whatever. So if all of my marketing was consistently targeted in such a way that it was like, Education entrepreneurs would be interested in my service, but no one else would. When I was creating marketing materials, et cetera, it would be so easy to know how to craft my, my marketing um, that it would, just, it would just be great. And I, I just, frankly, I just haven't, like I'm so busy right now with the work I have that I haven't thought, I haven't had taken the time to do that. But that's probably the next step for my business is, is niching down my marketing to be that specific. And using the sort of words and the language that they use exclusively, um, and that takes bravery, by the way. As uh, and I, I, sorry, I hate to, to keep going down this rabbit trail. We need to get to some of your thoughts as well. But but yeah, it takes bravery to like to actually make that decision. But once you do, you're in the game. Um, that's how you win marketing. So that's really interesting. I, I've always, of course, some basic principles of like you know like empowering your customers and providing a need for them, and so all that's kind of generally space where people understand that, but I never really looked at it before from mm -hmm. kind of a hero perspective with everyone being their own hero. And yeah, it's really interesting because a lot to yeah. think about. Um, yeah, we can pivot over to kind of the fiction side of things. And Let's how, do it. I look at yeah. it um, again for everyone listening because it, it, it might seem like we're on total two totally different subjects. And I guess in a way we are, but at the same time, um, whether you enjoy reading fiction or especially if you're like me and you want to be successful at writing fiction or making video games a lot of the stuff that steve's talking about even though it's not fiction related and you're not writing a hero um how applicable it is to real life and when you do want to put yourself out there and forward how to interact with people and same for the for the nonfiction side i'm sure that you know relating with stories and being able to get be a good storyteller and how people relate to that so even though some things might seem a little bit uh you know, disharmonizing or whatever term is for it. It's, um, they really do go hand in hand a lot and just diving into these different subjects. But anyway, yeah, looking at, uh, the fiction side of things, um, it's, it's different. So uh, a lot of times for a story, just from your typical understanding of a hero, the hero is typically your main character. Um, it it just it just makes sense in most things, especially superheroes. Spider Man, he's he's the hero there. Batman yeah. is the hero there. Um, that's very very simple. Um, other movies might get a little bit more kind of complicated. Um, just at a very minimum amount of complication um, or complexity when you look at Lord of the Rings, um, Boromir. Um, how man, his, his was a great story because uh, he fought and struggled against. The need for him to have the ring through the whole thing and he really kind of was an antagonist against frodo um the whole way and dealt with a lot of internal struggle but in the end he did become that hero and so what at a so a lot of things there i actually wrote my notes down so i could 
not go on different um sidetracks but um if you're like me you're reading fiction books that have several different uh characters in it um you're basically writing several different heroes because each one as he was saying each one of those characters is their own hero and so the the struggle with that is having to make them believable because a lot of times even though we are their own our own hero in our own story we don't feel that way and that's usually how most stories start out either someone feels inadequate whether they're insecure about something or if it's say like a magic system is evolved they don't have the magic capable of overcoming an issue um then there's that inadequacy and even though they're the hero in their story they're the center of attention the center of attention they're not the full hero that they want to be yet and so really the hero's journey is developing that character from the beginning to the end um now some of those characters might have other characters they look up to that are the heroes uh one great example if you've read brandon sanderson's books is um the relationship between uh I'll probably pronounce the names wrong uh shallon and jasna where jasna's shallon looks up to jasna as this uh perfect um this perfect woman in power who can take control of situations is poised is knowledgeable and that shallon will never be able to um reach that level of of i guess heroism in in her own life but as she gets more familiar with jasna and as she kind of discovers more stuff about herself she realizes that that's not entirely true that she can control things as well has her is in control of some of her own power and that jasna isn't has some weaknesses on her own um and so anyway kind of getting back to uh the hero story that the main thing about it and i've i've said it so many times before but it is so true is they need to be real um they have to deal with struggles and overcome those struggles and it it has to be difficult think about Think about times in your life. Th- think about where you are now. Say if you're in a good place now, or think about those times where you are in a good place. Most of the time when you feel you're in a good place, it's because you just came out of a bad place. Um, you overcame a struggle in your life, whether it's a job, maybe you lost your job and then you found a new one, or you're having a difficult time trying to get something across to your kid and it's just a lot of struggle in the home and then boom, there's a breakthrough. Um, so many things in our life where usually when you breathe that sigh of relief and you feel that hero feeling is when you've just come over a struggle and accomplished it. So um, I, I'd say one of the more important things in my mind for creating that hero, which is typically your main characters, is making them the hero in their own story by putting them in the fire. You have to throw them in. You have to, honestly, as a reader, even though, and I, I know there's a lot of books and stuff, it's common to kill off characters and surprise people like that. But generally speaking, let's say you have these main characters and you really want to put them through to the end. You're going to have to try to get the reader at some point to think, man, like, are, are they, are they going to make it? Um, cause it's just tough what they're going through right now. And that's setting up from the beginning, their character flaws right from the beginning. It's that way when a situation does come, say if your character, honestly, something as simple as public speaking, and let's say they have to, even though that's very simple, it's not like fighting a dragon or a sword wield or anything, but let's say they really do not like public speaking. But then they're in a position where they have to lead some troops. They're placed in a position of power for whatever reason. Maybe they have these magical powers now and they have to lead and speak to these groups of people. How are they going to overcome that? Are they going to outright 
refuse. Um, so there's a lot of different things there. And of course they can get more serious as they, as they go along. Um, but having those situations and challenges for the characters to overcome. Another thing too, that I think just my personal opinion makes a really great story looking at heroes is the reader, not necessarily knowing who the true hero of the story is. Um, we're, we're all human. And so even people who, I, for lack of a better term, tend to do good in their life, you know, tend to make good decisions and everything still might fall flat on their face in the end. Um, so if you have a book with three main characters, those are the the three heroes that everyone looks at in the story, but do all of them really become that hero that we want them to be, or are they able to overcome those internal struggles? A lot of times a character can overcome maybe an external struggle, but never, never reach, never overcome their internal struggles. Um, so I don't know if I've really said anything in stone there. Cause there's a, there's people are just so complex. And so if you're writing a story about a person, the complexity is just, you, you can never get a perfect, but if you hone in on those things where you get in that character's mind and you realize this is their story. And even though there's other characters around, this is their story. What, what do they struggle with? What would really get them to feel the lowest lows in life and then put them through it? Cause that, that's what makes a true hero. They have to be human and they have to be able to overcome those human situations. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's really interesting about everything you just said is, um, so this is one of these interesting points where, I mean, honestly, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast where there might be a tension of some sort in between how you might handle, especially a larger fiction entry versus how you might look at the, um, hero in your, in your, uh, in your brand and, and how you might look at like when you're doing marketing work, because so like a question I want to ask you is, and so I'm going to let you answer, but then, but let me give some context here first is like what, and maybe, maybe there's not an answer to this, or maybe it's more complex than we have time for. I don't know, but, but like what kind of techniques are there that you can use to not muddy the water of who the hero is now i asked that i wrote down that question with the assumption that kind of goes against that last thing that you said that sometimes you don't really know who the hero is and so coming from the marketing world my assumption is well i always know who the hero is because it's who it has to be in order for this the story to actually go through um but in fiction it doesn't seem to be that way it, um you know like um just more broadly speaking, I was thinking about Lord of the Rings because you were using the example of, of Boromir and, and Frodo. And in the Lord of the Rings, I mean, I mean, heck, the first, the first entry is called the Fellowship of the Ring. And so to what extent is the Fellowship itself actually the right. hero? Um, and then not to mention the individual heroes within the Fellowship who you are being introduced to, to their story. I guess if I was going to really practically ask the question is, is there some category in fiction for saying something like, okay, Boromir is going to have his time and his journey, and we're going to let people into it, but it can't take away from Frodo or it, or it at least has to add something to Frodo or, or whatever. So like my assumption as the, as the, as the, as the marketing guy looking inside of something like the Lord of the Rings, I pretty much, 
automatically identify Frodo as the hero. So I guess one question, one way to ask what I'm saying is, am I wrong? Is he not the only hero objectively, or is he really like the main hero? And then everybody else's story sort of weaves into his. Um, can, can you do anything with those with those jumbled thoughts and questions? <laughs> I think so. Okay. <laughs> so right. um, there probably, there is a distinction between, um, and it, and it does get down to a lot of minutia, I guess, and how you kind of look at different things. But um, there technically is a difference between what some people would consider the main character and who the hero is. Sometimes the main character is not the hero. Main character is who you spend most of the time with your book with. And then in the end, maybe they're part of the main story, but then there's this actual hero that overcomes it all. Um, so, for instance, even though arguably a lot of people would argue that Aragorn is the main character of Lore of the Ring series, and he is definitely one of the main characters, but most people would say, oh, it's Frodo. He carries the ring and everything. But in the end, do um, you know what happens at the end, Steve? Have you finished reading the books yet? Uh, no, I had no idea what happens. Oh, yeah, maybe, I'm maybe gonna, you shouldn't. I'm not going to yeah. spoil it for you, but um, more or less, and again, I'm not saying this objectively 100%. There's also other arguments we made, but really, Aragorn um, kind of is the true hero throughout it. But the majority of the time, he overcomes um, the evil. He makes the right decisions, and he kind of leads the good charge throughout the whole thing. Um, so... That doesn't necessarily mean so objectively speaking, um, if you're the reader, you probably will know um, throughout, okay, this person is is one of the good guys. He is like the hero. I think that's kind of what you're asking. Um, but then uh, just another thought again, I don't know if this will answer any of your questions, but just kind of um, thinking out loud about the subject of the hero and um, just the different perspectives of it. Um, if you're, if you really are trying to develop, say, say six to twelve characters in a book, and you're going over a few different books, if it's supposed to be, you know, a pretty substantial series, and usually even some books have double, triple that amount of main characters, um, because when you're in one of the characters' minds and you're trying to portray them as the hero of their story and focus on their perspective and everything. Um, it might get a little convoluted on who's good or who is the actual hero. Obviously, there's objective evil and objective bad, but it gets tricky when your hero does a bad thing because um, it's a sure. hero still. And so... Um, well, heck, I'm, I'm watching 24, and if you've ever watched 24, <laughs> that's all over the place. I mean, Jack Bauer is obviously the hero, but he is... The, yeah, that's that that it's, that conflict is there for real. It's a weird thing, especially since and this is um, I think about this a lot, just of how our minds work. Um, in one of the books I just finished reading, well, I guess it was quite a few months ago now. One of the main heroic, and he definitely has the heroic traits, and he's a main character, and he's the good guy. Um, and at the end of one of the books, um, ends up, um, killing his enemy i guess you can say but um just a, a cold blood murder um not defending himself mm. or anything and it, it's weird because and you know to be honest with yourself think about it and you know it shocked me it surprised me i was not expecting it to happen and afterwards i still like the guy um because the author yeah. spent so much time developing who that guy is 
and you understood why his anger reached to that point. So obviously that's objectively bad that he killed mm. him. Um, yeah. You could argue, I mean, I mean, just, you just, yeah, sure. Well, buddy killed him right there. But at the same time, it's, you feel a little sympathetic because he has been marked as the hero of his own story. Same situation I brought up before about Joker. Joker does some awful things in the most recent movie, but you feel so sympathetic for him because you know his life story, you know what has happened. Yeah. I mean, you know what he has personally overcome to get to the state of, I guess, contentment or understanding where he's at. So I don't know if that answers any of your questions, but it's a lot it helps. more convoluted than uh, hey, here's your three main guys. They're the heroes. These other people are heroes of their own story, but they're not the real heroes. It's it's a little yeah. bit trickier than that. Maybe I'm not doing the explanation justice. I'm sure I'm just being more confused than anything. No, 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 no. I I I I think you are. Um, I mean, a couple things. Like, for one, as to your specific example, I mean, just to go back to my example of 24 and Jack Bauer. Yeah, so far in the series, this, this has happened, I think, twice. For sure once. I think twice so far where that specific example has happened that basically there was a cold-blooded murder on the part of the hero, Jack. Um, now, it was justified in the context of the series insofar as um, retribution and payback is a is a moral good right now. Now, if you're a Christian, right, you have a different perspective on that because God is the arbiter of good versus evil and it is it is his, you know, right alone to judge. But as humans, right, we are people who want to see um, action be taken, right? We, we want to see justice uh, served. And so, you know, twice now, I think, but at least once, Jack Bauer has killed a person um, who he did not have to kill. They could have gone through the the he had them in a position where they could have gone through the proper legal channels to take care of this, uh, of the people. Um, but he, he straight up killed them. Um, and as the onlooker, you know, enjoying the story, you're like, yeah, like, I don't know, get him. Um, so that, that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, um, I think so. It's definitely interesting, like, as I like to think back to the Lord of the Rings example, because it's just an easy example to pull from. Um, you're actually hitting on something that I was already thinking, but I didn't really know how to put it into words. And that is that as a onlooker from a distance over the last how many you know years, probably because I wasn't into reading, my first awareness of Lord of the Rings was probably around 2000, 2001, when the first movie came out. Yeah. You know, my, my, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time who was like obsessed with Orlando Bloom. And so it was whatever. I didn't even watch it. <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to see that. Um, uh, but, you know, point being, that was when that first sort of entered my awareness. And even having never read the books until literally starting last year, um, I sort of had this distant mental awareness of the characters, Frodo, Gandalf, Frodo hero, Gandalf guide. And one thing that sort ha sort of confused me until you just sort of articulated it a few minutes ago up to this point is that, in my opinion, I'm about I'm I finished book. I don't know. I don't know. I, I've heard that if you're like a, a real like super Tolkien fan, you can you can like like and you're not, you can get in trouble <laughs> by calling the different entries books versus whatever yeah, chapters yeah. or whatever. I don't know what they are. 
I'm going to call them books. I'm going to say book one, book two, book three. Okay. If I'm allowed to say that. Absolutely. I'm through book one and I'm about a third of the way, maybe through book number two at this point. And thus far, I don't see Frodo as the most interesting character. Mm -hmm. Um, Much of the story, actually more of the story than I was, you know, I was, I was kind of shocked to find that more of like less, there was less of the story so far about him than I thought there would be. In other words, the other characters in the books have been developed so thoroughly that it did kind of confuse me a little bit. Well, I thought Frodo was the hero here, but like, I'm not really like, he's just kind of like, yeah, he's there, but there are others whose stories are coming in and they're really interesting. Now, maybe, you know, again, no spoilers here, but maybe as it progresses on, it shifts a little bit and it becomes more about Frodo's maturity. You know, I I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Uh, But as of right now, I'm actually just, I'm actually more interested in many of the other characters um, uh, than I am about, uh, about Frodo. And so I, I think, I think what, what what maybe separates and this is again this is just so very much why i wanted to do the podcast because i wanted to get a a deeper angle here um it's it's interesting though i i don't i don't know that you can get away in the business world with your story being so convoluted i i think it actually has to be almost more straightforward because if i'm frodo in my story i don't care about boromir Mm -hmm. i care about frodo and so when you're when you're doing customer facing stuff, you you tell the stories of other people, but in in a different way. So for example, in let's see what's 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 a great example we can use. Um, okay, so one of my favorite I haven't I've got it almost I went almost two whole podcast episodes without saying the name Russell Brunson, but I'm going to say it. Okay, wow, Brunson. Yeah. Uh, my favorite marketing guru, right? Um, he has a company called ClickFunnels. Okay. And so um, there's a book called The Blue Ocean Strategy, a fantastic book. And it basically what it describes is that uh, in business, what you're trying to do is create a blue ocean. Um, most people do business inside of a red ocean, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a marketplace where all the sharks are already there. The water is bloodied because they've already gotten the kill or whatever. So you want to create a blue ocean. Um, where basically you're the king of the castle. And there's another uh, book called Play Bigger that describes this concept of, of a category king. And these two concepts play hand in hand. The idea is that what you want to do is sort of create a new category and then call yourself the category king. Uh, for example, this new business venture that I talked about last uh, episode that me and my buddy are starting that I can't, or I wish I could go into more detail on it, but I, I can't. We are starting a category. And we will be the category king because nobody will be able to, to, to catch us. We've started this category and we have, we, we have so many connections and so many tentacles into the core market that somebody else could not start this tomorrow that, or the day after ours launches and, and, and get a quarter of the success or market share than we will have because we've created a new category, a blue ocean. And, um, and we're in it. Okay. So Russell Brunson talks about how you, what you want to do is you want to create your, your blue ocean and go swim over there. But then in order to bring people over from the red ocean, you don't want to go fishing in the red ocean, right? You want to be in the blue ocean, but what you want to do is you want to throw rocks 
over into the red ocean and start hitting some of those people on the head over there mm-hmm. and making them start thinking about swimming over into your into your blue ocean. Okay. So here's what here's the practical example in business. So Russell Brunson started a company called ClickFunnels. His new opportunity or his blue ocean or his vehicle, whatever it's all the same thing, but whatever you want to call it, was sales funnels. That's what he capitalized on. Now, his his actual product is a combination of a website builder, a marketing CRM. And well, that's basically it. It's basically a CRM and a website builder kind of built built together. But he didn't enter the website builder market because that's a red ocean. There's a thousand website builders. Many of them are better than ClickFunnels, his company. Um, he didn't enter the CRM market. There's a thousand CRMs, many of them better on their own than ClickFunnels. But ClickFunnels is a sales funnel tool. That's the blue ocean. And so what he does is he throws rocks into the other tools. So lead pages, um, he would call them, and they even had shirts made for these things, lead pages, uh, he would call them low-key pages. So he's throwing rocks into the red ocean of, of the website builder. Or um, Infusionsoft, okay? So there's a company called Infusionsoft. They have huge market share in the online business CRM space. He started calling them and made had shirts and everything made called the, his audience and his tribe wears called Confusionsoft. Uh, so much so that, that the CEO of that company, so they changed their name to Keep and they literally admitted that that's why. They got that's such true. bad press because they everybody started calling them Confusionsoft because it was, it was the, it is the biggest mess. I've got two clients on it right now and it is a mess. It is a it is a very difficult it's it's powerful software but it's very difficult and confusing to learn how to use you almost have to have a consultant and they're usually very expensive um you know to be able to handle this and so it made sense so Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels the sales funnel tool is throwing rocks into the red ocean of confusion soft and low key pages and then bringing people over into his world so what did that have to do with anything wrapping it all back into what you said so there is a context for telling other people's stories other than your hero's story as the hero and your own stories as the guide. Mm-hmm. But but almost always those other stories that you tell are are going to be um are going to submit your hero as who they need to be. They're not going to detract, right? They're not going to confuse, you know, Confusion Soft is nowhere near the hero in the story of Russell Brunson's business, right? He, mm-hmm. he he's very clear on who the hero is, and these other people are actually the villains. So, in a sense, there's a villain's story um, that needs to be told uh, as well. And so, I, I do think maybe that is one core difference. I have to think about this more, but that is maybe one actual core stake in the ground difference from a traditional sort of complex hero's journey sort of thing that might happen in the fiction world versus almost a more linear sort of story in the, in the, in the real world, in the, in the, in the marketing world, you, you can't, um, you can't be bothered uh, with other people's stories because then it would detract from your well, own. It makes sense. Cause I, and really what it gets down to is marketing. You're, you're trying to have a goal of ultimately it's a call to action and to have people act on yeah, that right. call to action. And in fiction, it's, it's entertainment. I mean, to call it what it is, it's a yeah, And so obviously sure. we're looking at two That's totally right. different things. And I've been able to kind of put my thoughts together as far as the whole, this kind of hero and clearing up, especially the terminology is 
looking at, and it can apply to movies too, but um, I mostly refer to books because they tend to be a little bit more complex with, with the details of characters. But every character, when you from their point of view, every character or every other character that comes in, in their own mind, is their own hero of their story. As the reader, you know who the main characters are, and typically it does become evident who the heroes will end up being too. So in that sense, as the reader, you kind of have that um, oh, yeah. point of view where, yes, yeah. of course, you do know that person is the hero in their own mind, but they're not really the hero. So I guess that kind of just clears it up That's a little true. You're kind of tapping into a deeper layer there. That's exactly. true. But as the reader, though, you should be able to still get sucked into those characters who might not be the mm-hmm. ultimate hero, but still find interest in what's going to happen to them and how their stuff gets resolved. And so that's kind of... Yeah, well, okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. So as the, um, I'll call it uh, just for the sake of alliteration, and it sounds kind of cool, as the omnipotent observer of the um, marketing automation story, you can you can see where ClickFunnels fits. You can see where WordPress fits. You can see where... Uh, Infusionsoft and lead pages and all these other you know competitors or whatever fit, and you can see how they're the hero of their of their own story. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see even a guide. You can even see how, uh, for example, Russell's company is built on the foundation of direct response marketing on guys like you know Dan Kennedy and and, and some of the old school guys. Whereas these other companies are not built uh, on that, and so you can sort of see them as the villain. And, and then maybe maybe people who are on their side can sort of see a different perspective on that. And so. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's totally uh, a good way to think about it. It's the reader perspective versus the actual hero's perspective. Yeah, that makes Absolutely. a lot of sense to me. And uh, it makes it interesting too. There's different ways that you can write, but um, as the reader, um, essentially, it's um, well. I guess I'll give you another time. Yeah, I'll, I'll, that's a can of worms for another time because that's a, <laughs> that's a whole different thing about actually specifically writing, not necessarily having to do with the heroes. Um, yeah. I will say this though, because you brought up Lord of the Rings, so I'll finish on Lord of the Rings. Um, it's uh, it's one of my favorite things to actually talk about. We brought up about Lord of the Rings, how you kind of notice that Frodo isn't necessarily the forefront person. They kind of follow yeah. some other stuff, and even though they do touch on it a lot, and obviously he's the ring bearer, and the story ultimately ends with you know him and the ring, and all coming to this ending. Um, it's kind of going from the beginning though the whole thing about Frodo and the ring is hobbits are very overlooked. Um, they're not part really of, you know, the, the happenings of the world and they prefer that way. And so the whole premise of Frodo bearing the ring, I don't know if you, but I mean, in the book, obviously it's there as well, but at the council of Elrond, when all these important people are arguing and fighting and then Frodo steps up and says, I'll take the ring. The whole journey is that someone so small, um, not physically, but just, you know, who doesn't, you know, speak out much, who's not part of the spotlight can do such big things. And especially a lot of people kind of get annoyed with Frodo. Um, just the, how the ring affects him, especially towards the end of the movie. Um, and then the books as well. But, um, the fact that someone, even though they're not in the spotlight goes that whole journey and has that whole weight on them that whole way. Um, but does but it's not in that spotlight, and so it's uh it's kind of a yeah a really beautiful you know thing there. Well, yeah, and and again, I mean, I'll just I'll just beat the drum. Why not? That, that resonates with <laughs> it. You know, it's like, how did a carpenter from Nazareth become the savior of the world? 
Yeah. It's right. It's the same kind of thing. How did how did the how did the puny shepherd boy David become the most revered king of of, mm-hmm. of the nation of Israel? You know? And it's like, you know, it's those kind of things um, that make that just for me, they they don't detract from it. They actually solidify it. Right. That I think all stories like this that we really deeply resonate with are baked into into um, into our psyche for a reason. So yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. And this has been a, this has been a different I, a way. I really didn't know where this discussion was going to go. And I'm kind of I did. where it did it. And it it's yeah. tremendous clarity for me. So this is probably um, the first one where. um I'm, I'm glad we didn't talk about it beforehand, but some at some points I was thinking, man, I wish I w- we would have talked about it a little bit beforehand so I could kind of gather where it was going to go. It kind of went yeah. in different directions. It was really good, though. I, yeah. I like it, too, because then uh, I, I know, at least for me, this one, um, I had to really think through a lot of things. Don't, don't yeah. get my wording, but you brought up some stuff, too, and it just uh, just to kind of think through the process of it all. Hundred percent. Yeah. No. This. That's great. Um. Hey. So. Uh. We're coming up on an hour. You want to go ahead into our story of the week? Yeah. And, um. You go, go first go, this time. From there. Yeah. I'll go first this time. So. Um. This. Uh. Again. I guess. Kind of. Anything goes. Uh. Right. So. Yeah, um, you're this, right. Right. This, I don't know. Uh, I don't. You know. This is not necessarily like a news story or anything like that. Um. But it's my story. Uh. So here we go. Um. So I. I I'm not, I've never really been into personality tests and quizzes and assessments. Um, it's, it's not that I'm not, it's not that I'm against them. It's just that, um, well, there's a myriad of reasons, right? So like the one that I really kind of like got interested in a while ago was the Enneagram. And I then like as a, um, cause I kind of, I kind of live strongly in two worlds. One is the Christian entrepreneurial, like I even have a podcast called Faithful Business, right? I'm all about business and faith and how they intersect. Um, and unfortunately, uh, being very theologically conservative and careful and into apologetics and logic and reason on the other side, um, those two worlds often conflict because many who are in sort of that business, uh, you know, faith-based entrepreneurship uh, game, especially as influencers and things like that, they are often more... Um, I don't necessarily want to say they're like leftist or liberal or whatever, but but they're more theologically progressive in many ways than um, uh, than many of the ones who who you would normally think of. And, and so, um, anyway, it, it turns out that the uh, that the enneagram, if you actually look carefully at it, has some problems um, in that it it has some origins even in some occult practices and stuff, uh, and it it there's very little evidence that it actually translates to something realistic uh, uh, about about a human being. And so I, I really got into that one. And then once I learned that about it, I was kind of, um, I don't know, deterred from from them. Um, and, and then the other ones, they've always seemed like there's Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders. There's another one. It starts with a C. I think it might be called Colby or Kobe or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most of these are like expensive, they're geared towards big business and enterprise and all of this. And I don't know, I just never really, you know, cared for it. Um, and then I accidentally stumbled across one literally earlier today from an author who, uh, a business author named Patrick Lincioni, who I already, uh, you know, know, like, and trust to some degree. He started, uh, this thing he calls the working genius and, um, I was hoping he had a book about it. He maybe he mentions it inside of books, but anyway, he doesn't. And so I looked up some videos on it, and then I dove in and just went ahead and bought some of the assessments. 
Um, I really liked what he was describing, and the assessments themselves are only $25. Um, and I found a coupon code uh, to make it half that price. <laughs> so I bought a few of them for my team. I took one myself, and I was like, oh, man. Um, in a sense, I already knew this, but in another sense, I didn't really know how best to take this and apply it in my team context. So um, I, I don't have time uh, to go all into it, but basically the point is that there are six different kinds of working genius ranging from you know the idea guy who's always dreaming to the practical hands-on get dirty follow through to the end guy and in that range there are or gala I, I should say and in that range there are six different types of genius each of which are equally important each of which are, make a very meaningful contribution to the team and you will have a a inefficient or, or even deficient team if you don't have all of these in place, at least in according to this author. And so I think you can just go to workinggenius.com. Again, the assessment is is 25 bucks. And to me, it's totally, it's totally worth it. I like this because it's 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 not only affordable, he even mentions that he didn't make it some expensive thing because he wanted a mom who wanted to figure out how to best relate to her family and children to be able to take this just as much as the small business owner. Um, and so like, you don't have to have a huge team for this to work and it just makes so much, uh, it just makes so much sense and it's really applicable to your life. And, and it's more applicable than many of these other personality tests and things to your work and to your business. And so it gives you something really practical. I mean, you could literally have your, if you have, let's say you have a team of five to 10 people in your business, you could literally buy this for all of them. It would cost you what? A couple hundred bucks. And you could have them take this. Everybody could be done with the assessment in legit 20 minutes. You could have a 30-minute meeting probably and make some structure and reorganization decisions to get the team in a more effective place and make sure the most uh, effective people are being put in the most effective positions and you're done. Um, it could seriously be this entire process could take you an hour or two. And I think you would see tremendous clarity. I'm just diving into it and already seeing how this is going to be super fruitful in my life and business. So it's called The Working Genius. Um, it's an assessment for 25 bucks that I think everybody should go take and it will it will help you. Man, the most important thing when it comes to business, aside from getting the right people to work with you in the first place, but once you have those people is knowing how they should operate together and where to position them. I mean, just so many right? times I've seen people in my work where they they will be in a position and i i just think how, how it's just not the right position for them but they would be perfect in this other position right and well, it, it go ahead and, and it, it just and a lot of times unfortunately in my opinion it comes down to pay where they might be in yeah. a management position and they're getting paid more so they want to stay there where i think they should be getting paid just as much or maybe even more in a lower level position because that's where they just can create so much value. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, and and the the guy who created this, Patrick Lencioni, was was talking about this. He said so many people in job interviews, actually they go ahead and puff up and say, oh yeah, like they try to sell themselves mm -hmm. into a role that they sort of internally know that they're not a fit for um, yeah. because maybe the role that they would actually be a fit for isn't so valued. It's often maybe judged mm -hmm. or whatever. You know, culturally. And so if you can, if you can sort of suspend your judgment um, and, and, and then give yourself grace, because some people don't think they're like, like people like me who are more visionary and adventure mm -hmm. uh, oriented. Um, a lot of times we have a complex of, oh, what I'm doing is not actually work. When the reality is none of the other work can start until we do our work yeah, of, of thinking right. through concepts and, and ideas. And it's, 
it's less tactile. It's a little bit more mushy and it's a little fuzzy, but it's still work. And so what, what he is saying is, is we need to number one, be easier on ourselves and recognize, yeah, that that is work and give ourselves some grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also we need to suspend our judgment when we're looking on others who are maybe not that way and, and, and not judge, you know, because just because they're, they're not your personality style and just to kind of put a, a button on this, it almost reminded me of the five love languages of that Gary mm-hmm. Chapman. Oh, okay. yeah. Um, in the sense that it's really not like, whereas I felt like the Enneagram was sort of like making some assumptions about, about you. Uh, to me, now there are some people who don't even like the five love languages. I don't know. I, I've always kind of thought it was pretty darn intuitive, to be honest. There are things like that, the five love languages and then this working genius thing that I think are just so easy. Like, like they're not, they're not convoluted. They're not complex. It's like, there's only five love languages and there's right. only six of these things. Like you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're going to fit somewhere on that spectrum. And at least with the working genius assessment, when you download your report, it even like it's built into the reporting of the thing to make sure that the 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 sort of scoring that the tool gave you is accurate with how you perceive yourself. So it's it's literally the formula with the assessment is I forget the exact wording of it, but it's basically like, hey, download the assessment check the results against reality, put what you think you are. Right. And then the final result is this. So you're supposed That's to great. actually yeah. tune it and make sure that it really does um, jive with you and and the person that you are. So I, I think neat. it's fantastic. And I would highly encourage you to check it out. It's awesome. Awesome. That's really cool. Um, my, uh, my story for the week, uh, I'm actually going to pick out a book that I really like. It's been a while since I read it. My, um, brother actually suggested it to me we read it together along with my dad our dad um it's called the three body problem um are you familiar with that uh three body problem i don't even just have the book but the um the scientific term i guess you can say um i don't think i've heard it in in i I, no um i mean maybe i will be after you describe it but i don't know it as that I, I won't, it, my probably won't do it justice. If that, if there's that rare off chance where there's a genius scientist listening here, he's probably going to be laughing at me, but it has something to do with, um, trying to predict there's three masses in motion, like around a single point, trying to predict, um, basically where they're going to be going and how they're going to relate to each other. It's basically impossible to predict. You can't do it. You can mm-hmm. with two bodies, but you can't with three that's a very very basic level and so mm-hmm. in this book um it's been a while since i've read it but uh it's a it's actually a chinese novel it's a chinese author that wrote it it's translated into english um it's very fairly simple read but it was really good it's uh, science fiction and it's about um he tries to really what i appreciate about the author is he really even though it's science fiction and so and it does venture out into things that aren't real he really tries to apply the best he can realistic um, um, outcomes of uh, working theories that we have and everything and applies it to his story. And it makes it really intriguing. Um, but essentially, um, this guy gets uh, hooked up to this game called the three body problem. And it's very realistic. Um, he gets to this game and it's kind of like VR, but it's super realistic. It's like you're there and it always takes place in this ancient civilization. And sometimes other people who are playing a representative as like Benjamin Franklin and other like famous people 
Um, I forgot to forget why that is. But anyway, all these players are trying to solve their, uh, the game always starts the same. It starts in the civilization and they're trying to essentially solve how to survive on this planet in this game while there's three sons that are that are in play here and in motion and every single time the game ends with either utter cold or burning up and like and the game ends and um they want i don't want to spoil the ending because it's so good um but it's a very it's it's a very good book um so highly recommend it Cool. Yeah, I was just doing uh, just as I was listening a little bit of uh, googling there because I wondered if it was related to chaos theory, and it looks like it is. It uh, probably is related somewhat to it. I would at, at, at 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 least uh, uh, somewhat. So, so just to to kind of read this here. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um. So it looks like the, it's so it's, uh, the actual like scientific term for this is called the N body problem, <laughs> and I think the so it mostly comes. Like the the prime sort of example of this is um, gravitational objects like planets um, or or the the orbit, and that's actually before I looked it up. It's actually what I was thinking is I was thinking of I was yeah, talking about something like planets, the yeah. yeah like the gravitational relationship between two planets, but you add a third one in. What yeah. would that look like? It turns out that's exactly what the issue is. Yeah. Um, and so it's like so this uh, this statement is interesting. So if you want to uh, actually, um, if you're if you're watching, um, you could have the benefit of uh, of seeing this uh, thing. If I can learn how to use my computer, and I know we're coming up on on time, we're actually past time, but who cares? I'll just give you give you this real quick. So um, here is this uh, right. So if you want to calculate the orbits of all of the planets, a two body approximation will get you more than ninety nine percent of the way to the right answer. But that last 1% has a lot of weirdness in it, most of which falls out of chaos theory. Um, most more interesting part of chaos theory is the islands of stability, or what we in the biz calls chaos attractors. Um, no real, no real life in-body system orbits are stable, exactly repeat themselves. Um, but you do find that they settle into patterns. So while Jupiter's innermost moons, Io, Europa, and Ganymede, never quite repeats the same path, they do manage to resonate with each other and settle into a rhythm, hence the name orbital resistance um so you have several bodies orbiting a much larger body the length of the orbits will tend to settle in a simple fraction yada 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 math 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 and um as a result this is all not obvious right off the bat if the other moon slows down it gets pushed out a little faster at regular intervals if it gets too fast slowed down at regular intervals um and and so um yeah so here you go when you when you have even even more, well, hang on, these, these still have very elliptical orbits, a symptom of being in a two-body system with Jupiter, but the presence of the other moons does affect how big that ellipse is and what direction it points. And then I will end with this, but when you have even more bodies, you can almost abandon the idea that there are bodies at all and just move over into fluid dynamics, which I find interesting because one of my uh, good friends and clients uh, actually is a, um, is a, I think he has his PhD now in fluid dynamics um, and, oh, that's and cool. mechanical engineering. And uh, he's actually, uh, he, I guess, I think it's fair to say that he is a professor at Liberty University right now. Okay. He just yeah. got accepted into that. And um, uh, so anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And it's a, and again, he, he applies these principles right to um, his story. And it's, uh, it's great. There's actually three books in the series. I've only read the first. And my dad said that he liked the second one even better. Um, and so wow. I'm really excited to, to finish that series. 
Cool, man. Dude, nothing like when a couple story nerds talk, start talking about science and all that stuff, dude. That is, yeah, that's, that's, just, that's just too cool. I love it, man. Um, worlds collide for sure. So very cool. All right, man. I appreciate uh, you joining in. Anything, uh, do we, any final thoughts, anything we want to kind of put a button on or, or just encourage listeners to do or. Yeah, I think, uh, I think just the only thing, again, we just ask every single time, um, you know, really helps out. If you like this podcast, tell someone, hit the share button. If you don't feel comfortable posting on social media or anything, just send it directly to a friend if you think they'll like it too. Or if you do feel comfortable posting on social media, tell, tell them what you think about it. Um, really, we just kind of want to go on a journey all together and learn about stories and hear our thoughts. And some things might be kind of objective stuff that we believe and other things just might be us exploring. I think tonight was a little bit of both, you know, exploring how heroes interact and everything. So, uh, yeah, if you if you're enjoying it, share it with people, tell everyone about it, and keep having fun with us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a uh, so if you go to uh, storyworld.transistor.fm, that's sort of a uh, little website that's set up. It's just kind of the it comes with our podcast host, but that's okay. You can go right there. It's real easy to share from there um, about the uh, you know share the podcast link with others, and that is really the best way to help. Um, I will say too, like. You know, at the point we're recording this, you know, it's still pretty, pretty new and, and we're still building up our listenership. But I mean, hey, if you're listening and you have a question about this, I mean, specifically, I mean, if you think that, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a little redundant or something, I mean, I don't think we are, but if you think we are and you want to ask that question to sort of throw us for a loop or ask our perspective, then, um, yeah, I think I can speak for Alex. We would totally be down to absolutely whole episodes. To, yeah, because if they're interesting enough to, to particular questions that come in, um, may not be able to do that in the future. Maybe, maybe you know, hopefully we get a, a big enough audience to just sort of have a mailbag of questions coming in all the time, and then we can do you know Q and A episodes. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're one of the lucky ones right now. Uh, you could probably you could probably submit a question and would devote a whole episode to it. Well, so, a whole episode just for you. Yeah, that'd be great because we're stuck in our own two minds. Even though we have lots to talk about, we're not in your mind, so we don't know. What yeah, you're yeah, that, that's right. And as of right this second, I don't have an email address set up for the podcast. But I mean, heck, if you just want to email a question to Steve at uh, northmacservices dot com, so Steve at northmac n o r t h m a c services dot com, spelled like it sounds, um, you can do that. That's my personal email address, and uh, we'd be delighted to sort of you know take questions and answer them here on the podcast and. I'll just reiterate what Alex said and I'll let you go. Please share with your friends. That is how podcasts grow. That's just the bottom line. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do marketing and trust me, I, I would try every trick in the book if I knew what it was to, to get more listenership to the show. And uh, sure, we'll do those things. But for the most part, it's just tell somebody about it. Take a screenshot of it, share it on social media, tell a friend about it, let them know that this is the most awesome podcast on the entire internet and that it's going to change their lives. So send them, send them our way. With that, I'd like to bid you farewell and thank you so much for hanging out with us. Can't wait to see you on the next one.